I'm David Robinson. And I'm David Jr. And it's time to get back to the fundamentals. So, Dad, what are we talking about today? Oh, going back to the fundamentals. (laughs) Let's talk about leadership today. One of our key pillars at Carver, but um, we try to train every child to be a leader because we believe that there's a a real lack of quality leadership in the world today. And so all of our kids need to be leaders. They need to have ideas. They need to have vision. Uh, They need to be prepared uh, not just to go somewhere, but to take other people somewhere as well. So we're excited about leadership as a basic quality of our graduates. And I guess, what did you want to see in, in graduates and idea students? And how did you try and, and instill leadership? Yeah, well, I think, you know, you become a leader because you're the so-called expert, right? You're the one who knows where you want to go. And the Bible's real clear. It talks about, uh, without a vision, my people perish. So we need vision. We need, we need vision and we need visionaries. And so we try to train our, our kids, try to let them know that we aren't going anywhere unless you take us somewhere, right? Unless somebody takes us somewhere, and it might as well be you, because you're going to be the most prepared, the most educated. Uh, You're going to be the one who has the character and the strength to lead. Everyone talks about leadership all the time. And and for me, you know, leadership is really simple, right? You don't become a leader because you want to be a leader. You become a leader because people want to follow you. (laughs) There's if there's no one to follow you, you're not a leader, okay? So, so you become a leader because somebody wants to follow you. Somebody sees in you a strength. They see in you that you have a vision, that you're going somewhere, some destination that they want to also go, right? So you're the leader and everyone follows you because they think you're the one that's going to get them there. And so, you know, one of the things I think, you know, we need to understand first and foremost is that, you know, leadership is not something you claim. It's something that's given to you, and it's given to you out of respect, and it's given to you out of a, a real hope that, uh, that you actually know where you're going. And so if you can understand that, then you understand the responsibility that comes along with leadership, right? When you're a leader, you have a great responsibility. You know, we always, at Carver, we talked about servant leadership all the time, and, and I know people, people have heard that phrase before, servant leadership. But that really comes from the Bible. It's, you know, I think it's Matthew 20, 26. But it says, whoever wants to be first among you must be your servant. And, you know, you think about that, it's, it's kind of the opposite of what, our, what the world teaches us, right? Like a leader, you're the boss, right? You're the king. What does a king do? He steps on everybody, right? He takes taxes. He does all the things that, you know, kings do. But that that's such a small part of what leadership is. The king is responsible for everyone in the kingdom, right? So you have to have a care, a love for those that you're leading, right? You got to want the very best for them. And so if you want to be first, you must be the servant, right? You must be the one that understands as a leader, I've got to help the people that I'm taking to the destination. And I've got to help them get there because I know how to get there and I can get there by myself, but <laughs> they can't get there by themselves. And so I've got to pour myself out to help the whole group get where we need to get. And what is, what is the concept with the captain going down in the boat? You were in the Navy. I, I, people talk about it. I never really. <laughs> the concept have, with it. Your captain yeah, always goes down with his own with his ship. That. Yeah, well, it just basically means that the captain's the always, you're the last guy on the ship, right? If the ship is going down, you get everyone else off that boat, right? The captain always goes down with his ship. 
you know, you're not the one, the, one of the first people that gets off that boat. And, and so it's just, it, it's, it goes back to that basic principle of leadership, right? Like you're, you're taking care of everyone in your charge. And so a captain always goes down with his ship because, you know, if the ship's going down, you're going to be the last one off that boat. In most cases, it means you ain't getting off the boat. <laughs> and so you just got to have your mind set that, that if I don't get off the boat, you know, then that's, that's my responsibility as a leader. It's almost the opposite of what we see in the NBA today. <laughs> in the NBA and in, in government, too. I mean, you know, it's, how often do you see our, you know, quote, leaders take responsibility for what they did? How many, how many times have you heard a politician stand in front of a microphone and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong? I mean, think about it. when the last time you really heard someone say that. That's, you know, in, in politics today, that's death. Right. You can't do that. You can't say I was wrong. You have to step around the issue. You have to do whatever you can to put the blame on someone else. You let someone else take the fall, whatever it takes. It's a career killer for you to say I was wrong. And so it's become kind of a negative part of, of our leadership, of our current government leadership is that, you know, we're, we're not able to, to, to be honest and to be transparent. And, uh, and I think with the, with the media world we live in now, we're requiring more transparency from our leaders. Uh, and that's, that's only fair because they should be looking out for us. That's their job, right? If the ship goes down, they should be the first to go down, not us, right? If there's, if there's money to be lost or if there's something going wrong, they should be the ones that are willing to take the brunt of the responsibility because that's, that's the role with leadership. In the, in the Navy, we always had... We always had a saying, R-H-I-R, R-H-I-P. Rank hath its responsibilities, but rank hath its privileges, right? Like, you know, it's nice to be the admiral until something goes wrong. <laughs> and then the admiral's the first guy they point at, and he's the one guy that's going to take all the heat um, when it goes down. They don't care if you're the captain of the ship. They don't care why the ship ran into another ship. They go straight to the captain, and they court-martial him. Because he was the one responsible. I don't care if the, the yeoman who was in navigation fell asleep and didn't, didn't keep track of the little boat that was out in the middle of the Mediterranean. Um, I actually had a friend, one of my best friends at, at school, who was CEO of a ship. And, and something like that happened to him. But you can't complain. It's, you know, if you're the captain, you take the responsibility. Um, so you know, rank has its, its, its privileges, but it also has its responsibilities. And, and what was it like for you coming into the Spurs? You were young, in yeah. a leadership position, <laughs> and in, coming into a really tough situation. I think they won 21 games the season before. Yeah, no, that's a great, great example because, you know, coming into the team as a rookie, you don't have any real respect. <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody thinks you actually know anything. So, so to come into a, a team that was at the time fairly dysfunctional. We had won 21 games the year before I came. <laughs> a lot was wrong. Uh, and, and, you know, I come in and I've got all these ideas about what I think the locker room should be like and what the team should be like. Uh, you know, no one's following me. <laughs> you know, you, you come in and you're like, okay, uh, let's, let's get going. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, that was a challenge. And, and that's where it hit me that you must first become the servant, right? Like you come in and you have to do the work. You have to start looking out for everyone. You have to show everyone that your heart's in the right place, that you have the skill set that's required, that you have the fortitude that's required, and that you have the character that's required. 
And all of those things just took time. It just took time. There was no shortcut to being a leader. You just have to get in there, show people that you're, you're capable, show people that you have the skill set, show people that you have the courage to do what's right and the courage to take the responsibility. And so that's what we did. You know, my first year, we, we, we won 56 games, but we lost in the playoffs. And there's no way I can look at anybody else on that team and say, oh, we lost because we didn't have this or we lost because we, you know, didn't have the right coach or no, we lost because I didn't do my job well enough. Right. So that's the kind of personal responsibility you start to take. And then people begin to respect that. And you come back and you get stronger and better. And, and, and I, my, certainly my, my skill set improved. You know? and, and then I was seen as a leader. My first year, I think I averaged 20-something, 20 24 points a game or something. So there was the respect there. You get the points. You get the rebounds. You're consistent night in and night out. You're doing the things it takes to be successful. Then you can begin to take the leadership reins. And do you think that leaders should want to be leaders or should leadership be given to the ones who don't want it? <laughs> oh, that's, uh, you know, that's an interesting question because, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I think leaders should want to be leaders. I, I, I don't think you, you can be an unwilling leader because it does take courage, right? I mean, if you, you have to be willing to put yourself on the line. I mean, think of it in a simple terms, right? Like a parent. You can't be an unwilling parent. It just takes too much time and too much energy and too much effort. And then at the end of the day, the kid is going to know that you didn't want to be the parent. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's going to manifest itself in the way the kid grows up. He's going to say, well, my dad was my, my dad, but he didn't do anything with me. You know, he didn't teach me. He didn't spend any time with me. And so I don't even know what a father really looks like. Right. So it just manifests itself in the way that you lead if you're not a willing leader. And I, I, I think the good thing is, is that if you have the skill set and if you if you have the knowledge, how incredible is it to be able to pass that on? Right. To share that knowledge. And how incredible is it to help other people reach their goals? You can form the foundation of an amazing family if you're a good father. Right. Like you can have the children learn to love one another. You can have them learn to respect their mother. As a family, you just grow and you all of a sudden become a grandparent or, you know, you begin to see this incredible <laughs> tree begin to, to grow, right? And it, and it is an amazing thing if you're up for it. But you, there's no such thing as an unwilling leader. If you're unwilling, it's going to manifest itself in the product, how it comes out. Was there a particular leader that you came across growing up that influenced you and maybe set the tone and set an example? Yeah, some great leaders, uh, you know, and I, and I would start with my father. He was really the one. I, what I learned from my dad, you know, he was enlisted in the Navy, kind of ran off from, you know, didn't didn't want to, you know, really. He tried going to college for a little bit. It didn't really work out. He ran off and joined the Navy. And but he raised us um, just I saw him as this faithful man day in and day out. Right. It's you know, really it started with my grandfather because my grandfather was in a, you know, in Arkansas, in a, in an environment that was not particularly friendly <laughs> to, to African-Americans. And, and he, he fought the good fight every day in there, 
doing what he was supposed to do, raised his children. They learned how to read music and, and they were all intelligent and they were, you know, they all bucked the odds, right? And then here, my brother and sister and myself come along and my father gets us all through college. My my sister has her PhD. I have my master's. My, my brother um, went to the Naval Academy and now he's a pastor. And so they bucked the odds, right? They, they, they did all the things it took to to create this family, this environment, and this legacy. And so I'd say, you know, my father and my mother were the were my kind of first line leaders that I've that I'd ever seen and that that had the most impact on me. And I knew from what what I saw in my grandfather and I knew what from what I saw in my father that a big chunk of leadership is just showing up every single day. Right? It's showing up every single day and having hope and having vision so that people who might be less courageous, don't stumble, right? So they don't fall because the world can get pretty discouraging. But if you see someone that you can put your hope in and put your trust in and somebody can encourage you day in and day out, you start to believe, hey, I can do this. I can get through this. And as a child, I never doubted, no matter what was going on around me, that I was, I was supposed to go to college, that I could go to college wasn't even a question whether I was going to go. It was, how am I going to get to college? You know, how am I going to get through it financially? And, you know, my, my parents probably can't pay for my college education, but we're going to have to make it happen somehow. So that was the bigger question is how are we going to pay for it as opposed to, am I going to go? So that was the first line of leadership. And, and then, you know, then I got a chance to go off to the Naval Academy and, and see incredible leaders. You know, I mean, I think the Naval Academy is a leadership factory, to be honest with you. It's just all the academies. I think they do a phenomenal job of training young men and women to be leaders. Obviously, going into with basketball, I had some coaches I thought were just phenomenal. And I mean, obviously, everyone knows, you know, Popovich now, but there was a long line of really, really good coaches. And my first coach was Larry Brown here. Larry had some qualities about him that I thought were fantastic. He was, his energy was fantastic and he wanted to see you do well. He really wanted you to be better every single day. And he was willing to stay after practice every day and make you work. And, and then we had John Lucas, who was tireless. <laughs> you know, John, John, he had me up in the morning at 5 a.m. running sprints and, you know, getting sick on the track. And then we'd come back about 11 and work out again. And then we'd come back that afternoon and work out again. And I thought, man, this guy's energy is crazy. But that year I was in the best shape of my life and, and I had a, I was in, it was an MVP year for me. So I've, I've had some great examples of leadership. And it's interesting, you know, the things you remember after all those years and even thinking back, elementary school, middle school, the things I remember about the teachers, the people in my life, it, it's that energy level. You, you know, it's that enthusiasm and that being there every day versus any, you know, one quality, one act, one thing. It's, it's. Did they want to be there? And were they happy to be there? And were they a positive influence in your life? Like, that's what sticks with you. Yeah, no question. I mean, wh wh how have you felt motivated to go somewhere or to do something because of a leader that, that inspired you? So, I, I mean, big leadership, you know, I saw with you, um, you know, on the east side with Carver Academy, it was not easy and seeing against all odds and against everybody telling you not to go and you know, develop on the east side and not to go do that. And it's just uphill climb and you have to raise money every single year and there's no way to grow. And, you know, day in and day out, still going, sending our, my brothers there and, you know, seeing you know, over the last 20 years what that's grown and, and into. And now we've got 10,000 kids in Idea Public Schools. It's, um, 
I mean, that's been very inspiring where if you have a vision, you know, I, know, I feel confident that you, know, you can work towards that. And especially, you know, with what we're doing now, it's, it's been exciting, you know, more on the finance side of things, hmm. getting to look at things with a longer term vision. You know, now we get to look at things from a 10, 15 year time frame and then the world's just full of options. It's, it's not as discouraging where you can look at a city like San Antonio and the growth here and what's going to happen here in this region is unbelievable. And there's nothing but opportunities and there's no reason it should go badly. I mean, there should be room for all boats to rise. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really changed my perspective as my time horizons have gotten longer and I'm, I'm thinking about things very differently. It's not so this instant gratification where, you know, you're not, I think it just changes your, your perspective altogether. Yeah, no, it's funny because, you know, now, like you said, we're, you know, we're doing a lot more things around the city of San Antonio, right? We're investing in real estate and investing in businesses here in San Antonio. And so, and a lot of the things we're trying to do, there is no blueprint, <laughs> so to speak, right? And so, you know, how do you feel when you have to go and set the stage? You have to be the one to set, to make this new blueprint for how things should be done. I mean, it's, it's scary, because you're jumping out, you're saying, hey, this should happen. I'm not 100% sure how it should happen, <laughs> but it should be happening. And we need someone to step out there and, and take a risk. I mean, that's what, that's what we did with Carver. We said, I see education. I see what's happening in our country. When we look at the statistics, it's unsustainable. We can't keep doing what we're doing. We can't keep losing the kind of talent, the kind of youth that are slipping through the cracks right now and sustain what this country has been, right? So now we have to change those odds because even in Texas, if you look at the trends in Texas over the next 30 to 40 years, Texas is not going to look like what it looks like today and certainly doesn't even look like what it looked like yesterday from a, from a demographic standpoint, right? So, you know, San Antonio is, you know, over 50% Hispanic, but maybe in the next 25 to 30 years could be 70% Hispanic, right? So then then what happens if the numbers are the same today as they, you know, 20 years from now and they are today? So the number of kids that are getting to college, all of a sudden the revenues for your state look a lot different when 75% of your people are only graduating maybe 50% of the kids and sending them to college or less. That's not a number that's going to work. You know, if you want Texas to continue to be a great state, we've got to educate everyone, right? We've got to make good schools for everyone. We can't have these gigantic masses of areas that, that aren't well supported. And so, you know, somebody's got to get out there and say, this has got to be different. We've got to do a better job. Too many kids are slipping through the cracks. And so, you know, it, it takes courage. It takes a vision. It, there's so many things that um, you need in order to be a leader. I've, I've spent the last 25 years trying to gain expertise in the education field. That's no small thing, right? Like I'm going to conferences and, and now a lot of times I'll go and I'll speak at conferences. Uh, but 20, 25 years ago, I didn't even know how to run my own school. You know, I, I wanted to build it and I had to get, bring in the right experts. And, you know, one of the, one of my presidents of my board was um, president at Sam Houston and, and just a, an incredibly brilliant man. And I got a chance to sit underneath him and learn from him along with many others that came along. Uh, so I had to gain a level of expertise. And, and so now, after working in private school and public school for all of these years, you know, I feel like I have a good, solid foundation. I feel like I can actually help to lead uh, where the education discussion goes here over the next few years, uh, in, not just in Texas, but really around the country. 
You know, I think it's, what's funny about about leadership is that I don't I don't think leaders always look like you think they're going to look. You know, you know, we grow up in, and we're so inundated by social media. We're inundated by television. You know, and, and you know, when I grew up, I, Captain, I always Captain Kirk and uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Captain Kirk. Um, you know, but I always looked at you know everywhere I looked. You know, think about this: as a young African American kid, everywhere I looked, every company I looked at, no one looked like me. No one. And then I get to the Naval Academy, and out of five thousand students, there was. 450 African-Americans. So I look around and very few look like me. And that's the military, which probably is a, one of the better examples of, of balance in our society, right? So think about me looking out into the business world and thinking, where in the world would I fit in some of these companies? I certainly don't belong in the executive room. <laughs> There's no one there that looks like me. I don't belong as a is a owner of a sports team. <laughs> There's no one in that circle that looks like me. I'm not 100% sure where I belong. And so I, I, I had to redefine my idea of what a leader is. And here in my lifetime, we've had an African-American president of the United States. The most powerful man in the whole world was an African-American. Now think what that does for my psyche, right? Like growing up thinking, man, I'll be lucky if I get a, you know, a decent job and I get to go and make some good money for my family now I can actually lead. I can be the most powerful man in the world. And, and so, you know, we see our world changing and we see our, our picture of what leadership looks like changing. And to me, that's exciting. That's exciting because now you have all these kids who, grow, who were growing up thinking they can do this. We have little girls growing up now saying it's possible for me to be the president of the United States of America. That was not possible 50 years ago. It's possible today. Not, not, not just possible, it's likely today. I mean, you, you find the right person in the right situation, that is going to happen. I bet you would have a hard time finding anyone that would say that's not going to happen. It's going to happen. And so leadership doesn't look like what it used to look like, right? And we still don't even know what it's going to look like in the future, necessarily. So um, that to me is what's exciting because... Good leadership kind of comes up out of almost out of nowhere sometimes. And you didn't even know you needed that vision. You didn't even know you needed that direction. And then now you say, how did we live without it? Like, how did we make decisions as a country before when we only had half of the people or a third of the people representing us? <laughs> right. So so how do we as a city make decisions about our city when we don't even want half of the people in the city to vote? Or we build a highway and we say, okay, we're going to move those people on that side of the highway and we're going to move these people on this side of the highway. And guess what? Statistically today, the people on the right side of the highway, they live 10 years less. Statistically today, the people on the right side of the highway make over their lifetime millions of dollars less than the people on the left side of the highway. And that's how it is in every single major city we live in. That's the way our, our country has grown. But now we have people who are standing up and saying, that's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay that 77% of the people on the left side of the highway, their children are going to college. 9% of the people on the right side of the highway, their kids are going to college. That's not okay. And so the leadership that's stepping up and it's saying, hey, we need to change some of these fundamental, these underlying premises, right? This whole gerrymandering of districts, this whole not representing the people out there, 
no Red matter what, not loaning money to people, not loaning money to people, all of this, all of these things that have happened in our society and that continue to happen in our society. It's not OK. Right. Like we need leaders who are able to step up and say at a personal risk, I'm going to stand up and try to help change this. Right. I'm going to I'm going to make sure that we utilize all of the talent we have in our country, not just a, a, a small fraction of the talent we have in our country. So what would you tell a young aspiring leader in today's world, somebody in middle school and high school that you know, they might not know what they want to do, but they know they want to do something? I would say um, gain expertise. <laughs> you know, if you want to lead, become the smartest person in that area. Make it your goal to say, I see what's wrong in education. I want to be the smartest person in education there is. That's a great way to start because once people begin to respect your skill set and they begin to respect your capability, then you have a foot in the door. You have an opportunity. And then it's just a matter of proving competence, right? It's, it's a matter of proving that, hey, I can do this. I can make something happen. If you can't get your foot in the door, if no one's even listening to you, you're not going to make a difference. But, you know, I'd say the first thing that any kid, if I was talking to any kid, I'd say, get the best understanding you can and become the best in that field. Uh, and then they have to listen to you. You know, it's funny. I had a coach back when I played on the USA basketball team. He was a fantastic coach. Um, his name was Lute Olson. He coached at Arizona for many, many years. And he coached Sean Elliott and Steve Kerr and, you know, just a, a really neat, fun guy. It was early in my career. I was playing with the USA basketball team. Um, we were playing, I think, in Spain. And, and I just remember, you know, he would get up in the morning. We'd be going down for breakfast. And I just wanted to eat my breakfast. I wasn't trying to, you know, I wasn't trying to have any philosophical conversations early in the morning. But I'd come down and, and he'd see me. And then he'd come up to me and he'd throw his butt into me and push me down the hallway and he'd say, you got to get low. You got to get your hips down and get them into the guy. You know, and I'm thinking, what is this guy crazy? We're like, we're eating breakfast. Let me eat breakfast. Tell me this on the court. But you could just see that passion in him, right? And, and not just passion for the sport, but passion to see me figure it out, right? He wanted to see me become better. And there were times when I'm thinking, okay, I'm doing what I think you told me to do, but you know, he wanted to communicate to me that I was missing something and something that I didn't understand. He wanted me to go someplace, right? He had a vision for me that I didn't even have for myself. And, and now I'm looking back on it. I'm, I'm so glad he did that because he made me realize my mind wasn't even thinking about it at the time, but my mind needed to be thinking about it, right? How, how many opportunities would I have missed out on if I hadn't have discovered what he was trying to help me discover? And well, how different would my life be? Even worse, how different would your life be <laughs> if I hadn't discovered what he helped me to discover? I mean, you know, it's those type of things. It's that passion and that energy that drives you to a place you didn't even know you were headed, right? It's, it, it, it unlocks things inside of you. What a great leader can do is unlock doors in you that you didn't even know you had. Uh, that's the real gift of leadership, right? It, it help us to see things we would have never imagined, it, whether it's in ourselves or in our society. For me, I think growing up, there was a lot of times I failed at being a leader just purely by the nature of I didn't want to fail. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really hard to put myself out there, versus, whether it be sports or academics or anything. And I just thought, you know, I could do my own thing and mind my own business and, you know, 
be all right in life, but that just was not the case. Everybody always wanted more and more and more and wanted me to be more involved. I just couldn't understand it. But I think I, I just had a, a fear of, of failing and a fear of that risk. And I, I didn't know how to take risk um, and really put myself out there. And then mm. I think once when I was in college, I was up in Austin at UT and got exposed to the startup world and you know Capital Factory up there and all these young entrepreneurs and all of this this vision. And that was the first time I really kind of broke through that, watching all these people put everything, their whole careers, every, their livelihood out on the line for these crazy ideas yeah. and, do, and then do the work, not just say, oh, you know, I want this to happen in life. But no, they, they said, I want this to happen and yeah. then go work 12, 14 hours a day and then get other people to believe in it and put their money on the line. And it just it just rearranged my whole idea of thinking, yeah. you know, what it meant to be successful and to, and to see it. You know, and, and I think that's what I really, really loved about startups and venture capital. It's it's this, you know, just putting yourself there out there on the line for something that you believe in. And you have to yeah. clearly state what you believe in. You have to say, I believe in this and who's going to follow me. But you also, but I think in that experience, you also learned that failure isn't the end of the world. It's not a, most of them fail. And then they can pick themselves <laughs> up and get back on it. Like, exactly. It's not failing. It's that the bad part. It's, you know, it's there's a lot of variables that you can't help and right. nobody holds that against you it's the act of trying and but that's fear what, will stop you right, from doing, from doing it right anything. like if you're yeah. if you're afraid you'll never even try the experience try. and that's but, and, but and, even and, to get out there and fail and then to realize i've got to try something else i've got to come back and but then you then you also realize man what did i learn from that that wasn't altogether terrible. I actually got stronger and I got better. And now the next time out, I can figure figure some of these things out. So and people respect the the effort and the, the trying. Like for you, most most seasons you lost. <laughs> that's, that's a painful <laughs> truth. Yes, people, that is true. But that's not what people remember. They're not. They don't remember the you know the, the two championships the, out the of 12, fourteen years. The Twelve right. seasons you lost. Yeah. See, don't bring up the, the twelve yeah. seasons. Just remind them of the two. Right. Uh, yeah, two for twelve is not a great percentage, but, but it is. Look, I mean, but looking back, you know, yes, you're right. That's you know, that's what people remember. People remember those great moments. They remember those defining moments, and even the moments of failure. You can look back on as I'm, I do in basketball. There were some really, really tough times. But those times made me go back to the gym and work twice as hard. Those times made me say, okay, what am I missing? Why am I not achieving what my goal is? And they made me dig a little bit deeper and have to figure things out. And so as painful as those losses are, were and as personal as I took them, man, they, they made me who I am today. And I, I use those lessons not just on, in sports, I use those lessons in the business world as well. I'll, I'll take those with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, and I don't think I understood that as a kid. You know, I mean, sport, sports, for Spurs, it's one of their key pillars, but it's the love of competing. Mm. They want people who love to compete. Right. And that's more important than even loving to win. But you got to love to compete and love to be in the game and then go back and figure out why did I not win right. and day in and day out. And then, I mean, I think in the business world and just in life, know that love of competing and being in it and just mm. going in and mixing it up is so crucial and that's i mean what i've come to respect is like yeah. you know, do you do you want to be out there as a as a person are you willing to put yourself out there is is you know that's the number one quality that i would look for for a person yeah well i mean and and i and i think too going back even to what we had talked about about why leadership you know if you're not going to lead then you're going to follow right is is 
There's really only two options. <laughs> Either you're going to lead or you're going to follow. And a lot of times we see people who will sit back and they'll complain about, oh, I don't like this and I don't like that. And man, I don't have a voice and my vote doesn't count and all this kind of stuff. That just never sat right with me, right? If you're going to complain, <laughs> if you're going to sit there and feel sorry for yourself, then go change it, right? Like either you're going to follow or you're going to lead. And you have to make up your mind. You got to decide which one you want to do. Do you want to be a follower or do you want to be a leader? And yes, it's easier to follow. Yes, you'll escape criticism sometimes. You'll escape judgment sometimes and the pain of failure. But you also will be subject to wherever the wind blows. And whatever the tide takes you, you're going to go. And so, you know, I think, you know, people who understand the dynamics of that and they understand the dynamics of life, they make a choice. And they say, you know, it'd be easier just to float on the waves or it'll be easier to be the guy paddling the boat you know, and making sure the boat goes where it needs to go. And so, you know, I think, you know, you know, there's so many qualities about leadership. There's so many things that I think are are critical. And, you know, I, I just I want to see every single person and, and, and every single child that goes to our school. I want to see every single person have the qualities that it takes to be a leader and have the desire to create positive change, right? And be an instrument for change. You know, we got a lot of our nation's history, uh, our historical figures, a lot of our heroes are, are people who did that, who, who put themselves on the line. The, the first to do this, the first to be here, the first to go to the moon. Like who would be the first to go to the moon? Are you kidding me? Like I, you're not putting me on a on a ship that you think might get to the moon. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, but hey, you know, it's pretty scary. Uh, but we need them. You know, you're the Wright brothers, the first to fly the plane. Uh, I'm scared to fly today. I cannot imagine what it would be. A hundred and well, you they, know. Were, they were the first to successfully <laughs> fly the plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like so think about yeah, think about that, right? Who who's going to be the first guy to to try something? That can be pretty terrifying. But those leaders who risk their lives and risk themselves and you know, we're trying to create something for us. You know, nowadays, can you imagine life without an airplane? I I can't even imagine. You know, leadership is is such a key component to to who we are as people. And um, and if you don't want to be a leader, you're just going to you're going to be a follower. But, but I think one fallacy about leadership is that only the person in charge is the leader or only the person out in front. Right. But what about all the people, you know, supporting? And I guess how yeah. and every, if people don't think, oh, if I'm not in charge, if I'm not the CEO, then I have no responsibilities right. Right. as a leader. That's so like, a what does it example. mean to not be in the number one job? But then like, what are your responsibilities as a leader? That is a great example. I, you know. You're right. So many people don't think of their position as as being every every position you have is a chance to be a light and an example. Right. So, you know, even as a as a follower, if if I have a boss, it's my job to make that boss look good. Right. It's my job to put that boss in a position where he can be successful. And the best the better I do my job, the better the whole organization looks, the better everything goes. Right. And you're right. Sometimes people will be in a position and they're, they're not thinking about how important that job is. See, I learned that in the military because every job is important in the military. And sometimes if you don't do your job, if you're the guy loading the torpedoes, if you don't do your job, 
a whole lot of other lives are on the line because you didn't do your job. And you understand, you learn to, you learn that every job is important. Every opportunity is important. And the great thing about the military is, you know, you're, you're going to move through the chain of command, right? You're going to, you're going to get promoted. You're going to have that. You're soon going to be the guy that you're serving now, right? The lieutenant or the captain, you know, if you stay in long enough, you're going to be the captain, <laughs> you know? So it really makes you think, who would I want to have serving in engineering or in weapons? I want to have the, the same guy that I was back when I was there. And so, you know, it, it gives you a real sense on why each of these jobs is important and why you have to do yours as well as you possibly can. Uh, so, you know, you're right. That's a great point about leadership. It's not just at the top. Leadership goes, it, it, it's built. Like I said, it takes years to grow and it's built from your character and how you do your job day in and day out, how you fulfill your calling, how you gain expertise. If you don't do those things, if you don't do the little steps and you don't become the expert, then, you know, your possibility of leading in a good, positive way is, is going to be much uh, slimmer. You know, who do I want to follow? Who do I want to learn from? And there are a few names that just pop up. But in my lifetime, the, the one name that is probably at the top of my list and it's funny because you, you probably wouldn't think of this person, but Mother Teresa. I went back and read a, a book called The Simple Path, and it was just a, about her life. And she's not some political person. Um, she didn't start a company. She's not a business person. She's, not, um, she's nothing like you would think as a, as a, as a leader. You know, who was, who was she leading? But when you read her story and you see the impact that this woman had, on the world. She, she won the Nobel Prize and she served in the streets of Calcutta in the, in the lowest areas, the most difficult areas. She took no credit for herself. And yet at the end of her life, she stood as this beacon of hope for a generation. And that to me blows my mind. How can you serve and, and have no agenda, have, you know, no credentials, and yet leave an, leave an example and leave an imprint like she left in my life. I didn't know her. <laughs> but just from reading about this woman, how can you leave such a powerful impression of why working as, as a servant leader makes sense? And, and I think to me that kind of cemented um, my c concept of what being a leader really is more than anything. And, and I've been fortunate to, enough to be around people who are, you know, more on the humble side. You know, you look at a guy like Greg Popovich, you know, Popovich is fantastic and will not take any credit, will not take any. And, and, and you, in, in the world we live in, that's really hard, <laughs> right? Like you almost can't help but take credit somehow you're going to go into the hall of fame or you're going to be this, or you're going to be on, on, on this or that. But in the 25 years that I've been here and I've watched him, the work that he's done in the community, the work that he's done with individuals lives on the Spurs teams, not, not even to mention the work that he's done on the court puts him in a really rare category. I admire someone who can understand that it's not about them. And so, you know, and I see, I see people like that. It, it, it sparks something in me that I just, man, I, I can't help, but, 
you know, get excited. You know, it gives me it gives me hope, you know, that, that I don't need ad- adulation. You know, a good leader does not lead at, need adulation. They just need the vision. They need the mission. They need the calling. They need to feel compelled to do what they do. And and um, and you just got to trust that in the at the end of the day that um, that by the grace of God, man, uh, it's going to have the power and the influence uh, and the change um, that you hope for. So a leader is someone who invests in others. It's, it's I guess out of all we talked about, it's, it kind of keeps coming back to that. It's yeah. somebody who's I mean, one, you have to perform. You have to be an expert, but. You also have to care about others more than yourself. You have to put put them before yourself. You and, said it. That's and, that, that's the thing I used to tell all the kids at Carver. I, would, I used to say, a leader cares more about people than they care about themselves. And you know, we see that in parents, right? Parents will say, "No, I won't let you do that because I know it's harmful to you, or because I know it will hinder your future." Right. They care more about you than you care about yourself. And you're saying, no, I want to go do this. You know, I want to go jump off this cliff. I'm not going to let you do that. Right. And so a leader is looking out for the best interest of the people that they're that they're leading uh, and cares more about them even than they care about themselves. Right. And so a good leader, I'll say, because <laughs> not all leaders do. There's so few people that actually do that have the skill of good positive leadership. And if when you find people that care more about you than you care about yourself, that's like finding gold. If you find a good leader in your life, go right now and thank them. Go talk to them. Go pick their brains because that will help you become a leader more than anything else in your life. The Fundamentals with David Robinsons is produced by Geekdom Media in association with Game Day Media Enterprises. Executive producers are Lorenzo Gomez III and John Garcia. Recorded and engineered by Michael Argent and edited by Jason Barrera. Find out more about The Fundamentals at geekdommedia.com. Follow us on social media at Geekdom Media. And learn more about Idea Carver Academy at ideapublicschools.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.